0: We want to be spiritually activated. There are ways to activate your life spiritually. We go from death to life by believing in our heart and confessing our mouth that Jesus is Lord. And we are spiritually activated. Suddenly we are saved, born again. Many ways to express it, but you are now alive to the kingdom of God. The Bible says in Colossians 2, in the same way you were saved, so continue to live in him. How were you saved? You believed in your heart, and you confessed with your mouth. And so even this morning, I was just walking and praying early morning, praying through the tabernacle prayer. It's on our blog. Every week we've put that there for you. It's a lengthy prayer, but it's a progression through the articles of the furniture, the Ten Commandments, and not whole progression. And I just encourage you to find places to purpose prayer to spiritually activate your life. Find places to spiritual, just to pursue God in prayer to spiritually activate your life. Let's not just be on the outskirts. We live in a society and in a day when so many people in the New Testament church of our generation are looking for easy and they're searching for convenience and they don't understand the call of God that requires a cross of Christ in the center of the kingdom. Unless we deny ourselves, take up our cross... Unless we deny ourselves and take up our cross and follow him, the kingdom will not expand. Are you willing to deny yourself? Well, I have to get up early to pray. That's right. You're denying yourself some early morning sleep when you get up and pray. Well, I get hungry when I, when I don't eat meals. That's right. You fast and pray. You deny yourself. Well, I, I have a busy schedule. I have to you know, take the time to read my Bible. in my busy? That's right. You deny yourself. And you are spiritually activating your life. God wants you to be supernatural people. He wants you to experience something more than just the natural realm where you're trying to be morally upright, but you actually are empowered by the Spirit of God. God sent Jesus to come and dwell with us or come and tabernacle with us through Christ. Christ, and he is awakening things within us to transform the world around us. That's the way God works. He awakens things within you to transform the world around you. You suddenly have compassion and a desire and a drive that didn't come from you. He says, I will put a new spirit in you it's something that he awakens within us so that we can then cooperate with the plans he has to transform the world around us the tabernacle was where almighty god met with the children of israel for 40 years as they wandered in the desert so many truths are revealed in this that tabernacle is where the presence of god would dwell you understand you and i are now where the presence of god will dwell no, you're not. You are the temple. You're the temple of the Holy Spirit. Raise your hand if you're a temple of the Holy Spirit. In the, in the wilderness, it took nine months to erect and put together the tabernacle that would hold the presence of God. In the womb, you took nine months to be prepared to be born where you now carry the presence of God. God's been setting this up now for generations for us to have a more complete understanding as we look back and as we look ahead. We've walked through the tabernacle piece by piece. The video is going to play. I want to kind of walk you through once again as we understand how the Israelites, they all gathered around the tabernacle and the fire was coming, an expression of the glory and the presence of God and all the tribes were there and we, as we zoom in, we go down and we find there's one way in. There aren't two ways in, there aren't three ways in, there aren't many ways in. There's one way and it's the gate. And Jesus said in John chapter 10 verse 9, I am the gate. He was clearly referencing he's the only way into the presence of the Father. As we walk into the outer courts, we see them the brazen altar where the sacrifice for sin was made. The first stop is the brazen altar where God provides. There's provision to take place. Then we move to the laver, which is a place of cleansing. That laver has water and the mirrors in the basin. And as as you've gone through the sacrificial element of the altar, then you go to the laver. And as you cleanse your hands from the blood, All you see in the mirror is the blood. You no longer see yourself. That's exactly how God sees you when you gave your life to Christ. How many of you feel like you're not good enough sometimes to serve God? Raise your hand. I want you to know God doesn't see that about you. When he looks at you, he sees the blood. When you you look at you, you see what you have done. But when God looks at you, he sees what he has done. And he takes you into this holy place where the candlestick, the menorah is and the table of showbread where Jesus is the manna that came down from heaven. He is the bread of life that we are to partake in. And the uh, last week, Pastor Chris did a great job talking about the altar of incense that emanates 24 hours a day as they would stir the coals morning and evening. And as you and I stir the coals of prayer in the morning, and we deny ourselves and at night before we go to bed, we deny ourselves just to take some time just to listen to the Lord. We awaken something that emanates out of our lives 24 7 in communion and communication and tabernacling with God and then we step into the most holy place and this is where we're going to be talking about today and that's the atonement lid it's very important that you understand that that cover that just came off is the atonement cover to the ark of the covenant and in the covenant or in the ark of the covenant there's a pot of manna and that's what that gold vessel is and then this is Aaron's rod that budded The Israelites rejected Moses' authority and Aaron's delegated authority and so the rod butted to de- declare that uh, God's established authority was there and then the Ten Commandments and we see those three elements in the Ark of the Covenant and they are all very important. We'll talk about those in a moment but I just want to point out as the lid goes back on the Ark of the Covenant, this is where the high priest one time a year would come in and he would actually flick blood and splash blood on the atonement cover and when God would look down he wouldn't see any of those elements in the box he would see the cover and he wouldn't just see the cover he would see the the covered cover with the blood the sacrificial blood and all of this is a declaration that Jesus came that you and I might have life he fulfilled everything that we just said everything we just talked about utterly speaks of who Jesus is and it is a revelation of the cross of Jesus Christ he fulfilled fulfilled all 330 prophecies of the first coming of the Messiah. He came once as a lamb. He will return a second time as a lion. The first time he was riding a donkey in humility and submission as the lamb being led to the slaughter. But now he will come back not on a donkey. He'll come back on a bridle, on a white horse, and there will be blood coming up the side of the horse because there is a horrific war that is going to take place. This is all truth according to Scripture. Everything that happened before has been fulfilled and everything that is to come will be fulfilled. Jesus is alive. He's awakened us that we would be a part not just of a religious group of people trying to be nice but a spirit-led force and a mighty army of God that's been awakened in the earth that will stamp out darkness because the gates of hell will not prevail against the spirit-filled, powerful church. Come on, somebody today, let's rise up and declare it. We are a part of the mighty army of God Almighty. The most important thing I can tell you about where we're going in the Ark of the Covenant today, I just felt the Holy Spirit keep on rehearsing this to me over and over and over. I want to say it very intentionally. I want you to hear it. I want you to jot it down. I want you to rehearse it. I want you to think about it. I'll repeat it a few times today. But you will never process God's love correctly if you keep rehearsing your mistakes. You will never process God's love correctly if you keep rehearsing your mistakes. This is really important. We must understand this. You will never process God's love correctly if you keep rehearsing your mistakes. So this most holy place, the holy of holies, it's the inner room where we find this ark. This ark this Was made uh, of wood. We've talked about some of the items made of wood, the acacia wood, and what that really is. And it's almost uh, watertight so that it is somewhat indestructible, speaking of the nature of Christ in humanity. The wood speaks of something from the world. And and we see that indication with this. Well, the Ark, uh, it's amazing, but the Ark of the Covenant. Is this box that's made from this wood, and on the inside, it's laid and covered with gold. And on the outside, it's covered with gold. And so what you have is an inside layer of gold, a middle layer of wood, and an outside layer of gold. And this speaks of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit, Jesus, and the Father. And there's this constant revelation taking place in all of these things as we're looking and we see this and and the the elements that are in in the Ark of the Covenant that we've looked at and I've talked about this before, but understand it's just such an important thing that we understand because you will never process God's love correctly if you keep rehearsing your mistakes. So I want to challenge you to understand what's in the Ark of the Covenant is a reference to Israel's greatest mistakes, the three most embarrassing things that they did. The people that should have paid attention to God and honored God, they rejected God's provision when he provided manna. Manna was in the box. They rejected God's authority when they demanded uh, proof of authority. Aaron's rod was in the box. They rejected God's laws because they did not keep his commandments and the laws are in the you understand your greatest mistakes are covered by the blood of Jesus. God's not looking at your mistakes. He's looking at the blood of Jesus. This is vital for us to understand, and, and I, I, I put this on your, your page just so you'll write it down, but clearly you see, to atone means to cover mistakes. That's what that means to, to cover mistakes. And I want you just to write down the word "atonement" on that blank because if you break that atonement down into three words as i've done for you on the page you'll see that's how we find ourselves at one with god atonement is at onement with god in one relationship connection we are uh, we honor him he awakens us we become one with christ in him we're seated in christ at the right hand Of the Father, it is amazing what God has done to position us and posture us in this regard. Now, I want I want to challenge you to think about this uh, as we look at this, because First John chapter three says something that again I just felt the Lord was saying this is the key to everything that we need to understand about God tabernacling with us, dear friends. If we don't feel guilty, everybody say feel. (laughs) Boy, how many know your feelings can play tricks on you? If we don't feel guilty, we can come to God with both with bold confidence. If we don't feel guilty, you know, a, your feelings can awaken a certain drive within you. Yesterday when we were in Dallas, Tracy shared in a leadership forum about how God is a feeling God and he awakens feelings within us and, and he stirs those feelings to cause us to, to drive toward. She, she didn't share it with the leaders but she told me on the drive and, and it's stuck with me ever since because as an attorney she says she finds herself in a court of law sometimes with uh, the judge there hearing the case and she's presenting uh, as, a, as a person who's, who's devoted to truth and, and trying to be morally upright. How many of you know there are a few attorneys out there that are not quite like that. I don't know if you know that or not. I'll just tell you uh, that there are a few of them. And so she runs across them from time to time where they will actually purposefully, intentionally misrepresent the facts in order to skew the conclusion of the court and get the judge to believe something that's not true. They're lying and she told me how she sits there and she'll present the case and the facts as they actually are and then the adversarial voice steps in and starts to present to the judge another perspective that she knows is wrong and she said suddenly something in her just awakens and she cannot wait until the judge looks at her and says any rebuttal counselor and she can stand up and say yes yes there is a lot of rebuttal and she said it just is in her wanting to, to get up and make the wrong right She's Moved to make the wrong right. This is what God is doing in you right now. He's moving you to break it, break injustice in the world. He awakens something within us that unleashes a drive out of compassion. And if you're not careful, you respond to that incorrectly and he will release the enemy will use it to release a drive to dysfunction. When we cooperate with God, he releases that to a drive of compassion. When the enemy perverts what God is awakening, it's released then to become a drive to that which is dysfunction. God wants to awaken something within us to transform the world around us. And When the enemy can convince you that your mistakes are holding you back, then I just want you to know that's the only time your mistakes can ever hold you back. Your mistakes can never hold you back unless you let them. That's why we see this very first. You come in the gate. Jesus, he invites you through his broken body, shed blood. And the first thing we see, again, is the declaration of the brazen altar where sacrifice is made. And then we go on this journey, this sequential progression that's revealed as an analogy for us to look at. How do we get into the presence of God? And we walk through this progression all the way in until we get to the very, that we started under the grace of God and we conclude, do you understand this? You conclude under the grace of God. This is a pretty important point. God is saying, we, does you start this journey by embracing grace. And when you come in and you understand what it is in the most holy place, then in that place you're, embla- you're embracing grace, I'm covering mistakes we are at one together because I have redeemed your past and I will surround you with people that need to hear your story so their future never becomes what your past has been listen carefully, dear friends if we don't feel guilty we can come to God with bold confidence Why? This is so important. I'll guarantee there is something deeply, intricately driving every person in this room. More than what we realize. If we don't feel guilty, we can come to God with bold confidence. The NIV says that That was the Living Bible. The NIV says it this way. If our hearts don't condemn us, if our hearts don't condemn us, Then we have confidence before God. If there is any possible way (laughs) that I can convince you, you you remember it? Are we good? In fact, it's my undershirt today. Look at that! (laughs) Thank you for the shirt, by the way, Bill. I just remembered; I have my undershirt on. When you wear a black shirt, you can't wear a white shirt under, or the white collar sticks out. So you have to wear a black shirt under the black shirt. Just a little fashion rule for you. Come to church. Are we good? Are we good? See, I, I watch as people get sideways because that's what we do. We're family. Uh, Faith was recording Tracy and I. Tracy and I have funny conversations. We are very passionate people, and we have a weenie dog named Copper. And Copper, if there's ever the hint of any type of emotion in the house, where if somebody starts to tear up and cry, he knows it. It's like he smells our emotion. He comes over and he's just looking at us, and then he'll jump up in the person's lap. And, and sometimes Tracy and I will have conversations, and we are both very passionate people. We aren't even, well, sometimes we're mad, but normally we're not even mad. We're just bold, we're just loud, we're just conversational. And when we started having a conversation, she goes, well, I don't think so. And I said, well, I think so. I think we need to look at this a little more effectively. I mean, all we're doing is hashing it out. Anybody like that in your house? And so Copper freaks out, man. He won't even let us have a conversation. He's up in her lap trying to protect her from the alpha male that's getting after her, you know, this, this whole thing. And so we're sitting there the other day, and, and, and this is going on, and she's talking, and she's, she's getting on to me for eating those pumpkin candy brocks, you know. It is God's will for us to have some of those. And so, uh, I, you know, it's almost, it's almost Halloween time, and those things are on the shelves. And, and anyway, she's kind of getting after me on this conversation. And, and so we're back and forth, just kind of having fun. And finally, I just said, leaky faucet, leaky faucet. It sounds like a leaky faucet. If you know the Bible, it says uh, a woman nagging her husband is like a leaky faucet in the house or something like that. So, <laughs> so faith knew the verse. And she started laughing, and Tracy wasn't laughing. But <laughs> so I was watching her real close just to see what was going on here, because this tells a lot of whether or not, are we good? Because <laughs> a little later, I was kind of looking, and I, you know, sometimes like I, once I stepped, how many of you know I stepped over the line? Once I step over the line, a little later I'll come up and I'll I'll change the subject about something else just to see how she responds. And if I say something and she goes, oh yeah, yeah. I know we're good. But if I say something kind of funny, she's like, "Mm -hmm. (laughs) mm-hmm. Are we good? (laughs) You know what I'm talking about. I really want to convince you we're good. It is the craziest thing. It is beyond our wildest imagination. The outpouring of grace, no matter what you've done, if we could only be convinced of this revelation that Jesus paid it all. <laughs> he, he, he didn't just pay for your mistakes. I, I know this is going to be a little bit of a theological uh, challenge to you, a little bit of a stretch to the brain. He didn't just pay for your mistakes. He paid for all your mistakes in advance that you're still going to make. Because he paid for your mistakes before you ever made them in the first place. And every mistake that you make and you ask God to forgive, he covers with his blood and separates it from you as far as the east is from the west and it's no longer connected to you in any possible way. Not as far as the north is from the south, but as far as the east is from the west. When we traveled to China, it was interesting. We got in the airplane, and, and I was thinking, are we going to go the Hawaii way, or are we going to go the Florida way? I mean, how you know this is like China's on the other side of the planet. I've never done that before. Like, Are we, you know, we going to go east, or are we going to go west? And, and we got on the plane, and it took off starting to go west, and then it turned back, and I thought, oh, here we go. We're turning around to go east, and we didn't go east. We just went north. We flew over to the North Pole like Santa could have been smashed by the airplane <laughs> flying over the North Pole. And as we're going, it's, I'm watching the little screen and it says flying north and you're this high and it's freezing cold, like way freezing cold, like a hundred some below, crazy cold. And if we get a crack in the window, it's all over. You know, I'm thinking all kinds of thoughts and you're going over the North Pole and it says traveling north, traveling north, traveling north. And then it said, not traveling north, it said traveling south, traveling south, traveling south. Because if you go north far enough, you'll change going north to going south. But if, you, if we'd have gone east, how many of you know we would have gone east until we got there? In fact, we would have gone east until we ran out of fuel, even if we went around the planet three or four times, uh, because... Going east always goes east, it never changes. Going west always goes west, it never changes. That's why the Bible doesn't say he separates your sin as far as the north is from the south, because that's not far enough. He wants to separate, you understand, he wants you to understand and recognize you are separated from your sin as far as the east is from the west, or infinitely, eternally, never to come back for you to ever be accused by the enemy ever again. What's Jesus like as our attorney, our representative, sitting there as the enemy is saying to judge the father? father. Nope, she's guilty. Look at what she did. Jesus is just wanting to get up and say something as that, as that advocate. He just can't stand the injustice going on in the room, but he's silent until you open your mouth. And when you believe in your heart and you open your mouth, that's when he springs to action. And he says, not guilty. I paid the price. No matter what he says, it's not guilty. Dear friends, if we don't feel guilty, we can come to God with bold confidence. Can you imagine what it was like to be selected? Let's let's go back to the Old Testament. Just long enough, one priest of all these people I mean, you've got 130,000 Israelites to one direction, 180,000 to another direction, 152,000, 154,000 other directions. You've got hundreds of thousands of Israelites out here. And out of all these hundreds of thousands of people, one person, go with me here for a moment, one person is selected. All these people one person selected one time a year. They would send this priest into the most holy place where nobody else could go. And if if that priest had not gone through a proper cleansing process per the the layout and the, the mandate, then he would fall dead in the presence of God. This was a big deal. They, they actually hymned bells and pomegranates around the robe on the bottom, which actually speaks of the love chapter and, and the gifts. And in Corinthians, it's interesting. You've got all the gifts and then you've got love. And the gifts are about the, the bells making the noise, the sound of heaven. And the pomegranates, they're about softening the sound. So it's not a clanging sound like clang. You've, you've read the verses, right? You, what I'm talking about in all this is so, so here this, this priest. I mean, one person. I mean, can you imagine when they say, okay, you are the one? And if you're standing like next to the person, you're like, can you imagine the moment the one is actually going in? Think about this. like here we are as a community of believers, and I don't know what it would be like to be that person, but but imagine what it was like to watch that person as they disappear into the holy place, and then you know they're going to go into the most holy place. I mean, imagine as that person disappears, there would be a hush. It would come over the crowd, almost like holding our breath, knowing somebody is experiencing with God something that none of us will ever get to experience. I want you to imagine that in that day. What would it be like to be that person who actually gets to have that experience? Actually, you know. You don't value it nearly enough, nor do I. But first John chapter 2, verse 9 says, But you are a chosen race. Would you say I'm chosen? You are a royal priesthood. Will you say I'm a royal priest? You are a holy nation. You are a people for God's possession so that you may proclaim the praises of the one who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Can you imagine? Yes, you can. How many of you believe when we undervalue something, we don't appreciate it? But when we learn to place a certain value on something that's truly valuable, then we appreciate it. God wants to draw us in. God wants us to understand listen, you're not just the chosen person to go into this place of experiencing the presence of God. You are the chosen person who gets to do this not just once a year. You understand the music's starting to play? I'm about to just read some verses. You can go in. I mean, it really is up to you. Let's be honest. How many of you in this room, your heart condemns you to keep you out of all God has in store? Just raise your hand. Your heart, we're going to break that. Just hold them up there. Your heart condemns you to keep you out of all God has in store. So let's stand together. Lord, you never designed any one of us to carry guilt. We are not containers of guilt. And when we allow guilt to begin to be carried from within, it causes this breakdown and we suddenly feel unworthy and we suddenly feel guilty and we suddenly feel like, does God even... Love us, does God can God even love us? We we suddenly feel the way the Bible says that we really need to work to move past first John three twenty one. Dear friends, if we don't feel guilty, we can come to God with bold confidence. I don't know, this is just a really important thing to the Lord this morning. Just Will you digest this spiritually for a moment? Just digest it. Process it. Let God deeply plant this. You will never process God's love correctly if you keep rehearsing your mistakes. Jesus we acknowledge that you're the savior of the world. You came fulfilled the prophecies of the first coming of the Messiah. You came to conquer sin and death. You were everything that the brazen altar was to express but could never become. You fulfilled, you became all of it. And we thank you, Lord, that you are the Messiah who came to rescue us, to rescue all humanity from our sins. We acknowledge we need you as our Lord and Savior. If you're in agreement with that, maybe for the first time ever, or you've said this before, then I want you as a a declaration of agreement that Jesus came to redeem us from fallen humanity, from our sins, as the Savior of the world. Would you say amen? Amen. Lord, we acknowledge we need you to lead us, guide us, and direct us every day by your Spirit shaking off these feelings of condemnation and guilt so that we can enter freely and boldly into your presence in Jesus mighty name I just want to read some verses of scripture and I want to a Tuesday morning prayer I focus on these sometimes but they're the divide by two chapters and they're they're like some of the most powerful psalms eight divided by two is four Eighty-four, 6 divided by 2 is 3, 63. 4 divided by 2 is 2, 42. You get where I'm going with that? Psalms 84, Psalm 63, and Psalms 42. Psalms 84 says this, How lovely, would you just receive this? How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord Almighty. My soul yearns, even faints, for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh cry out for the living God. My heart and my... I can't even just keep on reading. Come on, my heart and my flesh cry out for the living God. That is everything that is within us cries out to God Almighty, even the sparrow, verse three, has found a home and the swallow a nest for herself where she may have her young. Thank you, Father, for your provision. Blessed are those who dwell in your house. They are ever praising you. Blessed are those whose strength is in you. Right now, you can press into that most holy place and receive strength if you're feeling weak in an area of your life. You can just call that down and receive it. God's Word is so freely given if we'll just not have this conscience that disqualifies ourselves from all God desires to do. Blessed are those whose strength is in you, O Lord, in whose heart are highways to Zion as they pass through the valley of That's a valley of weeping. When you look at that B-A-C-A word it's a valley of weeping. As they pass through a valley of weeping they make it a place of springs or a place of provision, a place of joy. Come on, you and I because we're experiencing the presence of God can walk into valleys of pain and turmoil and release in those valleys the joy of the Lord that is not only our strength but the strength to those around us as we go where God has called us To go. Better is one day. Verse 10, better is one day in your courts, O God, than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than to dwell in the tents of the wicked. Lord, make your word become our cry. Make your word. Lord, allow us the understanding that we can look at memorizing the Bible as memorizing the mind of God. Let the mind of God, the mind of Christ be awakened within us. Psalm 63, O God, you are my God, earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My body longs for you in a dry and weary land where there is no water. I have seen you in the sanctuary and beheld your power and your glory because your love is better than life. My lips will glorify you. I will praise you as long as I live in your name. I will lift up my hands. My soul will be satisfied as with the richest of foods With singing lips, my mouth will praise you, my God. On my bed, I remember you. I think of you through the watches of night. Throughout the course of the night, I'm waking up thinking, when can I go and meet with God? Psalms 42, as the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When can I go and meet with God? Lord, your word is so powerful and so rich when we understand by the grace of God, we walk through this sequential progression of standing confidently, boldly, absolutely forgiven in the most holy place, in the place of nearness to God. And I pray you would teach us, Lord, to find that place when we break open Scripture. We take time in our devotions and we take time in prayer. We deny ourselves because we're hungry for more of what you have in store. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus.